Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to open the word and to see what you'd have to see, have us see. And we just ask you to anoint this time and, and guide and lead all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, we're in chapter 19, Revelation 19. Uh, we covered the first nine verses, which was about the marriage supper of the Lamb and the, and the worship around the throne. And we're going to go into, start at verse 10. Uh, well, let's start with verse 9 just to get a little bit of uh, context here. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See, you do it not, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True and Righteous, and he does judge and make war. His eyes were as flame and fire, and, his, and on his head were many crowns, and he had the name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dripped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he does smite the nations, and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress for the fierceness of the wrath of God, of, of the Almighty God. And he has set his vesture on his thigh, and a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're going to stop there for quite a bit to cover right in that first section. <laughs> Uh, so we're seeing here, there's an angel talking to John, and in verse 10 it says he fell at his feet. And the very first thing the angel says, as they always say when somebody falls at their feet, is get up. I'm not, I'm not the one you're supposed to worship. And I just bring that out. You'll see this all through the scriptures. When the person falls at the feet of an angel, the angel will say, get up. I'm not, I'm not God, basically. And... This is why we know a couple of times that it wasn't angels. Like when Abraham, it says the angel of the Lord, and it capitalizes Lord in most King James Bibles, came to Abraham, and Abraham fell down and worshipped, and that angel accepted worship. We know that that was not an angel, but it had to have been a what we call a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, Joshua fell down at the feet and worshipped the, the angel that, you know, that was giving him guidance as he was going into the promised land and he, and he accepted the worship. So we know that that was not an angel but Jesus. So we just bring that out so that when you're reading through the scriptures you can kind of distinguish. The angels will always say, I'm just a servant. And ultimately they know that even though they are the schoolmasters of us right now and the protectors of us as humans, they know that in the end humans will be placed as a higher level as we're going to see in these in these chapters a higher level than the angels than the angels we will be because we are the bride of Christ and that was what the marriage supper of the lamb is all about so we are moved from this lower state of, of in our sin nature and we were created at a higher state and fell and we will be redeemed and put in back into the higher state that we will have and we will rule over the angels as well as everything else so we have a great and future in, in store for us, and we're we're getting to the conclusion where where we see our our true standing in God's eyes, and this is why it's important. And we've talked at very various times of that we know who we are in Christ in the first place, 
because we are sons and daughters of Christ. We are his bride. We, we, God sees us in a justified state. He sees us as perfect because he, clo he, he clothes us with the righteousness of Christ and he says that we're perfect. Now we know we're not perfect, <laughs> but God, because he lives beyond time and eternity, he knows what we will be and sees us as what we will be when in our glorified state. One thing that really helped me out that I will finally say I'm not bragging or anything is that I now know that I am special to God. Yep. And We're all special to God. That. Well, I would never say that before, <laughs> but I'm special to God. Yep. All of his created beings actually are, are special to him, even the ones that are going to go to hell because he created us to be in fellowship with him and he doesn't want them in hell. He, he sent his own son and Jesus voluntarily came. We say God sent, but Jesus voluntarily said, yes, I'll go to save us, to redeem us. And you know, it's hard for me, hard for me to, or anybody else to figure how could God have done that as bad as we were you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, he could have said, "Okay, all of you are just going to hell. Like, no, I'm okay. going to go off. I'm going to go off to some other, <laughs> some other place and start all over again." But he didn't, because he knew we were going to fail, and he knew right from the beginning that Jesus was going to give his life. And it's it's called the predeterminate counsel of God. It's in in the scriptures where it's he had foreknowledge of all of this, and the plan was already in place. And we see it in Genesis 3:15 that as soon as man fell, God said, "I'm going to send." <laughs> A redeemer and all through the scriptures is a picture of the redeemer as we're as we're looking at in Leviticus and Exodus and Deuteronomy and numbers and Joshua and all the books in the beginning of the Bible all show pictures of Jesus uh, when we're going through Exodus we spent weeks on the tabernacle and how it shows Jesus in just about every part of the tabernacle we talked about the sacrifices and showed how Jesus is part of every one of the, of the sacrifices. You know, he has been all through the scriptures, and it wasn't an afterthought with God. It was like, oh no, they fell, now what am I going to do? It was all planned and known. And here we're going to start seeing, we're seeing Jesus coming in a new light. We've always looked at him as Christians as the lamb slain before the foundation of the word, the gentle the gentle one. And if you remember, what was it, chapter uh, 10 or 11, uh, let me go back and find out which chapter it was. Very early in uh, verse 6, where Jesus, where that had that moment of change where Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, to the mighty king, the Lion of Judah. And Genesis, uh, Revelation is all about that change. He's coming, and he's, gonna, he's coming with vengeance and, and ruling. And we're getting ready to look at him ruling for a thousand years with an iron rod. I mean, he is no longer the meek. Like yeah, he's yeah. no longer the meek and gentle. Yeah. Yeah. He's no longer the meek and gentle at this point. He is, okay, it is time to change. I am the God, and I'm going to show you who is the ruler. And so this angel says to him in verse 10, I am your fellow servant and your brother and your and your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus. Jesus saved us. And the, the testimony is that he died for us so that we could be made perfect. 
and worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now we've talked about prophecy. Prophecy is not just predicting the future. Okay, that's a very small part of prophecy as a matter of fact in the scriptures. Prophecy literally is speaking with the authority of God. So anytime you're witnessing and the Spirit speaks through you, you basically are prophesying. If you're a teacher and you're teaching God's Word and He's guiding, you're prophesying. A good pastor prophesies when he's teaching because he is speaking with God's authority, lifting up the script. Prophecy is that teaching of God, the speaking forth of His name and power and all in, done in his name. And again, we've talked about name. Name isn't, you know, we don't just pray for anything and say in the name of Jesus, and that is not necessarily praying in the name of Jesus. In his name is taking all the authority that represents his name, and you only need to say in, in the name of Jesus to be praying in his name, because it's everything that he stands for, all of his righteousness, his holiness, and then we bring his name into the, into the process. And I've heard a lot of prayers with, that have little tag at the very, in the name of Jesus we pray, and I'm going, I don't think that was a very much in the name of Jesus prayer. Nothing about souls, nothing about God being glorified. It was all, you know, usually for themselves sometimes, you know, and, and just tagging on the, in the name of Jesus isn't really praying in his name. And we've used the example of, of, of ambassadors from a country. When they go to an, another nation, everything they say and do is looked at as in the name of the country that they represent. In the name of Jesus is that whole idea of the power of his name, the authority of his name. And we see all of that, and this is the prophecy, is that he comes with the prophecy, and he is the word, which is a prophecy of him right off the, right off the bat, because everything we're reading there is a teaching on him, authoritative teaching on him. So this is really a book of prophecy, if you want to look at it in that light. And it says, He saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteous does he judge, righteousness does he judge and make war. White horse. This is a key that is understood in those days. When a king rode into a city, either a conquered city or back into his capital, and they came in victory, they rode on a white horse and a full-size horse. Now when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, that was the symbol of the, the king coming in peace. And they would do that often if they just capitulated to them and they well, would ride in. Donkey meant peace. It, made, it was a symbol of the king coming in peace. Okay, and that was what he was coming in Jerusalem for. I'm coming in peace. This is my, this is my city. I'm not, I'm not conquering it. I'm not taking it by force. It is my city. And that was a sign back in those days, if you came in on a donkey, because it was a lowly animal for a king to be sitting on, he's saying, I'm coming in peace. Now he'd have his whole entourage <laughs> touring behind him, <laughs> but he would come in in a, in a very low and meek way, and it was a way that says, I'm coming in peace, I'm not coming to destroy. When they come in on a white horse, <laughs> It's like, uh, I'm coming in, I've, I, usually they came in after the fact, I have conquered. So in this case, he's saying, even before the battle's finished, he's saying, I have conquered. And he had already conquered at the cross, and he's just now going to finish it off at this point. So this is a symbol, and it's something that we've got, you need to know the history of. And if you look in history, you see this donkey and, and horse being used in various times. Most of the time, they rode in on a white horse. 
But every once in a while, a, a city would say, okay, we're just going to, you know, you're much stronger than we are, you know, what, what are the terms of peace, and we surrender, and they would come in as a, in, in, on a, as a, as a lowly thing, and just that would be usually a sign of their, okay, we're not, we're not brutalizing you, we're not going to make this real hard. So this is a huge point when he says he came, comes on a white horse, and he's faithful and true. Faithful and true. That is such a beautiful statement. God is faithful. When he says something, you can count on it being done. And this is why when we go through the scriptures, we can grab hold of scriptures and say, I'm going to hold on to this scripture, and it's going to be my one that I grab hold of. And, and what, my favorite verse when I'm having a lot of trials is Roman 8, 20, Romans 8, 28. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. You know, and so when I run into hard times, <laughs> I'm going, okay, God, I don't, know, I don't know why you're allowing this to happen, but I don't understand it, but you, you've said it is for good. And I'm going to hold Romans on to what? that. Romans 8, 28. Now that's a verse that if you believe you believe going into troubles and trials, it's a good verse to grab hold of. Would I tell somebody that verse when they're in the middle of trials and troubles and are having a hard time? Absolutely not. You've got to believe these verses before you get there. And believe me, God has put me through a lot of trials on that verse to see if I truly believe. And I'm going, okay, God, it's... I don't understand, but... What if you go through these trials and tribulations, then you read the Bible and say, oh, that's what happened. You, 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 you had to learn the hard way. <laughs> I right, yeah. but, but it is great when we grab hold of these verses. When, when an individual passes away and dies, God says, precious in his sight are the death of his saints. Now, so when a Christian dies, for me, that's a time of joy and celebration Probably and slight. not Probably not slight. sorrow yes i'll be sorrow you know yeah we'll be sorry sorrowful that he died or passed away or she pa you know passed away but did you find one that works mm -hmm. yeah. okay because we'll miss them yes we'll miss them and we're somewhat oh, selfish but if we can really yeah, truly yeah. grab hold of how god sees death death is celebration it should be a celebration and the church I spent a lot of my life in, what they what they called all their memorials were homegoing celebrations, and it was a celebration, uh, at least when they were a Christian. <laughs> Otherwise, it was just a, a sad memorial. You'd take what little good they had in their life and celebrating that. My, a friend of mine told me that he had a he had a friend that passed away, and it and they had a celebration of like what I wanted to. The music was upbeat, and mm -hmm. yeah. and. Uh, the, the people, he, he had his uh, pole bears dressed in Hawaiian shirts oh, and yeah. bright, colorful, <laughs> you know, there was no way to be sad because uh, of it, you know, and that's, that's what I've always told my family. I go, when I die, I want a celebration. Yeah. I, yeah. you know, I know there'll be some sadness, but I want a celebration because I've gone home and I'm like Paul. Uh, I'd rather be home with Jesus, but as long as he's got something for me to do on this earth, I want to be here as long as he has something for me to do. But as soon as that's done, I want to go home. I, I don't. The only thing that'll keep you from going to heaven is to reject Jesus Christ. Now, suicide is really not a smart thing to do or a wise thing to do. But if you know Jesus Christ and you commit suicide, you'll still go to heaven. You'll just have lost what you've lost a bunch of rewards that you should have had. If you reject Jesus Christ, you'll go to hell. Anything else, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven, and that's what you know. The salvation, you know, we recognize we're a sinner, we recognize we deserve punishment, we accept the gift of Christ. 
Once we've accepted that gift, we are saved and we are going to heaven. Now we may go as little infants with no, no rewards, or we can go in having studied and learned and followed and, and shared the gospel and come up with some level of maturity and have greater gifts and rewards. But the only thing that will get you into heaven is Jesus accepting him because then we're clothed in his righteousness and we enter in. Otherwise, they're gone. And that's why when people start saying, well, there's lots of ways to, to heaven. Well, no, there's lots of ways to hell. You may, you may be a good person in hell or a bad person in hell, but you're going to have rejected Jesus Christ and all are bad, all are bad, but you know what I mean by good on that, you know. Done, mo you know, done a lot of good things, helped a lot of people, uh, you know, everybody looking, at, yeah, everybody looking at you would have gone, man, that's a really good person, they belong in heaven. No, <laughs> you know, one sin keeps us out of heaven. And there's going to be a lot of bad people <laughs> in God. heaven. Yeah. You know, that, that we would look on earth and say, man, they're a really bad person. Because we're all bad people covered in the grace of God. Nope, the thief on the cross didn't go anywhere. Yeah, right. And Jesus so, said, this day will you be in yeah, paradise with me. You can get saved and never never step foot in a church. Now, church you're, you're not going to grow. Church. We're yeah, the church. Yeah. We are the church. Yeah, this building isn't the church. If we were meeting in the park, we would be the church. If we were meeting on the top of the mountain. So, yeah, the people are the church. And if we didn't have a building, we'd still be... The church. the church. There's always that problem, you know, we are the church. And that's why I've said it various times. Let's go out, you know, as you go out, you are the church carrying Christ to the to the rest of chloride and wherever else we're going. Seems like we to a degree it is because he comes in presence, but he tabernacles within us. So we're bringing him wherever we go. Right. So everywhere we go, we're bringing him to the people. We, we are in the New Testament teaching, we are his tabernacle. People are the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of the, of the people. Ecclesia meant the gathering, the gathering together of people at some place. It didn't even mean in a building. It could have been, it could be in the town square. You don't have to come to church. You're not, you're not going to grow very much or learn anything by not coming, coming to a meeting where somebody is teaching. Uh, but you can, Paul, when he first got saved, went to the backside of the desert. Now, Paul was kind of an exception because he had been trained by the number three rabbinical teacher of all time, so he knew the Old Testament very well. But he went to the backside of the, de the desert where he was taught by the Spirit things to deepen his understanding. And I've said it from the, I've said it from the pulpit. I've learned many things sitting at home saying, God, what does this verse mean? And you can learn between just you and God. Okay. Is it recommended? No. In Hebrews we're told, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and so much more as you see the day approaching. Why? Because we need a pastor teacher teaching us how to how to understand some things. We need each other to build up and encourage and if you are if you are making you know, bad decisions, you know, you can have somebody lovingly say, you know, hey, I've kind of noticed this about you, you know, about the direction you're going. Uh, you know, have you realized what you're doing or, you know, I'm letting you know that I'm praying for you because I'm seeing this as long as it's in love. And we need each other for all of those reasons. And you're going to be stronger in, in a church. In, uh, in uh, Song of Solomon, it says, uh, a, a three, a, or two are better than one, and a three-colored fold is not easily broken. And that's literally talking about marriage, but it also talks about the church. If I'm standing by myself, I can easily fall 
and be broken and not get back up. If I have a, one other person with me, you know, they'll help pick you up. But when there's three or four people, you don't even get the chance to fall down because they're there to, they're, they're there to catch you, hopefully. So yes, the church is extremely valuable to us. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No, because all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You will most likely fall down. You will most likely wallow in the mud. You will most likely sin and, and not, not follow through. I have said it over and over. If, if people come to church, there's a greater chance that they're going to be successful. The people I've said seen pull away from church, within a year or two, they're not going to be walking like a Christian. They just won't. I won't say it's a hundred percent chance. The devil. Yeah, it's, it's opening every. It's opening yourself up to everything. But that's exactly what it is. If somebody pulls away from the church, and it's so, it's really sad when things get tough in their life, and they fall into a sin. Then they pull. Then they feel sorry. For, if Satan gets them to feel sorry for themselves, and makes them embarrassed to come back to church because somebody might say something, which unfortunately somebody might, instead of building them up. But they start pulling away, and then you watch them, and a year later, it's like. What happened to them? And I've seen this happen with even people who have been called to be pastors and teachers, really strong for a few years, and then all of a sudden they'll do something and they'll kind of pull away for a while. <laughs> and then a year later you wonder where they are. Oh, and it, and it is critical for us to spend as much time as we can with other Christians. And that's why I share with everybody, I listen to tons of preachers on the radio and on Ooh, the computer. I listen, I need to be fed as well. If I don't get feed myself, I'm not going to have anything to feed other people. So I'm always listening to these guys, learning, learning things, taking, getting a little different viewpoint than what I could get stuck in otherwise. But it is critical. We all need to be fed consistently. You mentioned Sunday Christians. I can't even picture somebody who would want to eat once a week. Yeah. And yet, most of the time, we want to feed ourselves once a week Unless spiritually. You're fasting and you're really yeah. fasting. <laughs> I always yeah. say, God, let me be hungry for your word and not for food. Yeah. That's how I go. Because it's critical because <laughs> there are so many people out there that, that say they're Christians and all their, you know, and they come maybe not even once a week. They come once a month or twice a month. And I'm going, Wow, or would you do Easter that to your physical body? Yeah, Easter. You see, CEOs, Christmas, Easter, and other yeah. other occasions. You know, so three times a year they're feeding feeding their soul, and uh, I would like, okay, I wanted you to eat three times three times a year. You can pick what three days you want, but That's three times. So but this verse says, you know, He is faithful. He is true. When God says something, we can count on it. And as I said three weeks ago in the service, I go, once we are taught something, God is going to see, do you truly believe it by giving us a test in that area? He's going to say, you know, the verse I gave you, Romans 8, 28, if you start really saying, I want to believe that verse, and you really want to believe that verse, oh, boy. Then he puts expect those, to find yes. some trials come your way to I'm say, do you believe? <laughs> you know, he yes. says, by this you will, they will know that you are my disciples because of your love one for another. If you grab hold of that verse and you start really looking at that, you're going to find God putting a lot of unlovable people around you and saying, do you truly believe? Do you truly believe? And this is important for us to... Sometimes, sometimes we're not to say something. Sometimes it's just to be quiet and, and love them. You know, there's times when we speak and there's times when we're to be silent. And the, the trick is to listen to God and know which is which. 
And that's a good verse. And if you start working at that one, then you're going to have people coming in to try you to see if you can get you angry. Yeah, well, and, you did. And I so. failing. <laughs> <laughs> but God will always do this. Whatever he's teaching us about in the scriptures, expect your test to come. And if you have just a small knowledge of it, the test will be a small knowledge. But for you, it's going to be a hard, hard test. Uh, some of the tests that I have to go through, the rest of you wouldn't go yeah. through, you know, and uh, some of the tests that you go through maybe might have been hard for me to go through. So each, the test is designed for the person and where they are at. Like I have said, if you give a kindergartner a test, one plus one is a hard test in math. Uh, if you gave a high school student a test, one plus one, they'd look at you as if you're nuts, you know, like, <laughs> I thought you were going to test, you know. Uh, so our test is directly related to what we understand and know about God and his word. So for a baby Christian, they're going to go through baby tests. He's not going to throw a hard test at a baby Christian because they're not ready for it. But as you, the more you get into his word, the more you understand, the more you've grown, the bigger your test will be. And he will say, do you truly believe? Are you going to follow? And the test that he, and if you, and then sometimes, and, but it, the test by the same token is not going to be so hard that it would be a devastating test because he also he make also it to the right level. Yeah, First uh, Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation overtaken us, but such it is common to man, but God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. <laughs> okay, so all tests are, number one, common. Never buy into the Satan's lie that you're the only one that's ever gone through this. Uh, and a lot of people buy into that. You know, my problem is so different. Nobody ever has gone through this. And in that case, I would refer you to Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun. There's no new test. There's no new trial. There's no new philosophy. There's nothing new. It's repackaged. It looks new. It can be trick you to be new, that it's new. But it is never brand new. It has always been there. So you are never getting something that nobody else has ever happened that happened to somebody. You're never you're never all alone because even even when you're That's going through that, other people are other people are going through it. So you know. So the first thing Satan will try to do is get you to convince that you're the only one, and that you are so terrible. You know, how could you ever? And Satan's goal is always to condemn us. Now the Holy Spirit will come in to convict us, and conviction is to bring us back to God. Satan comes to condemn us to try to drive a wedge between us and God and drive us further away from God. And so you want to not get condemned. Number one, don't ever think you're doing this alone and that you're the only person and, and that there's nobody that can understand. Because one thing about this is sin is sin. It doesn't matter whether you're, you're tempted to lie, whether you're tempted to commit fornication and adultery, steal, murder, drink, drugs, whatever it might be, all sin is sin. And it's the same process for all sin. It, and for you one know, person, sin is, not, is another person's strength, you know, that they're not going to be, you know, you know you got to be careful with that too. If you ever think you're not going to fall, you're in danger of falling already. What was that uh, scripture that you do when you started? First Corinthians 10, 13. Yeah. Nothing. That one? No, no temptation, no temptation is overtaking you. This not, yeah. no, yeah, not uncommon to me. I, I signed myself in West Haven Hospital, and 
Right, and then Jesus says that he, in righteousness, he rules, and then this key, this kind of thing works here and makes war. We're still in verse eleven, finishing verse eleven. In righteousness, right decisions, he is going to judge, and that means to separate and and just make decisions, and make war because he's he's going here. Here he is riding out to war. He has taken this world completely back in, in, verse, in chapter 19. And so he rides out and he's going into war and it is righteous. Okay? If you've ever heard people say that there is nothing righteous about war, that, that is not true. God, God has oftentimes said that there are reasons to go to war. Now, are every reason that countries go to war righteous? No. But there are times when war is necessary or right to protect people and that's the government's job the government's job is to protect its citizens and that may include war to protect them uh, so in this case Jesus is riding out to war and it says his eyes were as flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself his eyes of flame. And that's a picture of Jesus frequently in the scriptures, even in, in the Christophanies and the Old Testaments. Eyes of flame. He sees, he sees through things in intense, intensity. And uh, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that had this really intense gaze or, or, or look, and you just feel like they're looking right through, right through you into your soul. You know, and it's hard to hold that kind of person's gaze. This is the kind of gaze he's got. He's seen, but and in his case, he is seeing through you to your soul. And it says that he's got, and his on his head were many crowns. Crowns are authorities, and and it's showing that he is the ruler of the world in this case. He's he's taken all the crowns, and he's going to take them through this war, and say, I am ruler. And I love this. And he had a name that no man knew. Just him. He has a name. And later on, we're going to see that he's going to give us names, or, or we did in the, in the previous, he's going to give us names that, that only he knows for us. You know, and I picture that kind of like the pet names. You know how husbands and wives sometimes will have, yeah. have a name that they call each other, and it may not even be you, they may not use it in front of anybody else. It's just what they call each other. And that's the preciousness. And here he's got a name that nobody else knows, probably just him and the Father. That's his special name for him and the Father. And, he had, and he's writing out with it. And then he knows, the, he knows the name written for him. His clothes were vestures dipped in blood, and his name was called, is, is called the Word of God. His, he still bears this. And this is, his clothing is dipped in blood, which is his own blood, because of what he shed for us. And it's still that picture of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God has seen him that way. Since they decided that he was going to die, even before he died, he was seen as the lamb slain. And we're seeing him, even in Revelation, he's the lamb slain. Uh, back in 6, he, was, he appeared as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He bears the scars, even in front of the Father, he's bearing the scars and the cost of what it cost for us to be redeemed. 
And you know what? I'm I am so glad that we're he's going to wipe every tear in our eyes because if he if he bears these scars for all of eternity, for our price, that would be hard to look at, <coughs> and say, yeah, how could you not yeah. cry? I mean, it, maybe you'll have happy tears. I don't know, yeah. but uh, you know, well, but it would be very hard to see if he didn't if he didn't wipe the tears from our eyes. It would be hard to see him, and not the cost of my being there and everything that I've got because of his grace. When we get to heaven, we're, we're going to have a, a suite of rooms in the mansion of heaven, depending on our works that we allowed him to do and the decorations that they're going to be. And as I've said, you know, some people have the little uh, cellar studio room, you know, one room because that's all that they have. They just barely got in by the, you know, by fire. They accepted Jesus Christ and did nothing. Others will be up close to the penthouse having a whole floor to themselves. Uh, fully decorated. <laughs> you know. I, I, I don't know where it will be, but I'm hoping it's not the ground floor. But by the same token, you're in heaven. So the ground floor studios better, better not be the alternative of not being there. But I'd like to be higher up. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever get to the penthouse level, but uh, hopefully I'll have more. more but, you know, but that's all up to God. And, like, and just being there is going to be precious. But he's giving us rooms decorated and you think about this he created the world in six days and he's taken thousands of years yeah. <laughs> to build our house build our houses for eternity thinking, how special that, must that be that is so amazing so verse 14 and the armies which were in heaven followed after him upon white horses clothed in fine linen and white and clean most people accept that the armies here are the saints us that we will follow him on white horses. So because we are his bride, he's bringing his bride back with him. Because there's not going to be much to this battle. <laughs> there's not much to this battle that's coming up. He speaks and they're dead. Uh, you know, very, no, no battle here. But the description of us being clothed in fine linen and white and clean really indicates the righteousness of Christ. And that's not usually the way the angels are are described so, so this is most people believe that this is us as his as his followers and so and the the answer to people that say are there animals in heaven well the bible talks about horses anyway so and the answer otherwise would be if you have to have your pet your favorite pet animal in heaven to be happy then your pet animal would be there now i don't think that is necessarily going to be true but we're also going to see in the millennial kingdom that the wolf, the, the lion and the wolf and the lion will lay together. And so at least through the millennial kingdom, there are animals. And uh, so we'll see in heaven, it's not, not one way or the other. It doesn't bother me. I, I love animals, and, but I don't love them so much that I have to have them either. Now, I know people that have to have animals. <laughs> My wife is one of those. She loves to have her animals. I love animals. So... <laughs> I have no kids, I have animals. Yeah. Okay, in verse 15, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepresses of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God, and on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming to rule. This is going to be an amazing time for, for this world. We're going to see the world the way it was meant to be <coughs> seen, ruled by God with sin under control. 
Okay, during the millennial kingdom, there will no, there will not be sin. Now, people that live during that point, other than us coming back because we have been glorified, we have gotten our new bodies. But when the millennial kingdom is in 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 its rule, it's going to be the people that have lived through the tribulation, as we're going to see, that didn't take the mark of the beast or the or or uh, and uh, have followed him and been martyred. They will live. They have their sin nature. But he's going to rule with an iron rod. Did, did you touch on that Sunday? Yes, a little bit. And we, we might think we want to sin. And he's going to say no. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know what you're thinking. Don't even go there. Yep, and that's exactly. Uh -huh. he, will, he will be. I heard calling. He will be, uh, he will be the ultimate thought police. I mean, uh Hey, angels, go over there. So-and-so's thinking about sinning. Uh -huh. Stop it. Uh, because during the millennial kingdom, he will rule with an iron rod, which is also the reason that many will join Satan when he gets at the end of the millennial kingdom and say, all right, we're going to war against him. We're going to win this time. I don't, know, you know, I don't know how they're going to be convinced that he's going to win, but he's going to go, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to allow you to have your sin, and we're going to rebel. And so... This whole thing, he's ruling with an iron rod. We will be made, or we won't because we'll have our glorified bodies, but the people will be made to obey. I love that, this verse, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Yeah. His name, he is, he is no one greater than him. And doesn't so much tell us in Revelation, but in the other books in the Old Testament, he's going to rule from Jerusalem. He's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will split in two. He will rule in, 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 in Jerusalem. The Dead Sea will be re revived and the waters will flow back in back that direction and it will be a time of peace and all transactions will be out of Jerusalem. Remember, Satan has had his false kingdom, the false Babylon, where he's ruled out of and he's tried to set up his opposition to what God is. And remember, Satan always makes up copies of what God is going to do. Lies and lies. You know, he, is, he is not a creator. When he creates his religion, it's a mockery of God's way of doing things. God says we have to be in Christ. And, and the way we show it is through good works. So he says, Satan will say, okay, well, good works are what, you know, all that you need. Because Satan was one of God's angels. He was the chief angel until he was cast, until, until he got too proud. So, and so we know one thing about angels. Are, angels used to have some kind of free will before, before they made their decision. And now that they've made their decision, they're stuck with their decision. We on earth as humans are making our decision now. And once we are dead and get our new bodies, you'll either be bad forever or totally redeemed forever, and then you won't have a dis any desire to make any other decision. So it's something that we see. Was there some planet that the angels lived on? I don't know. But somewhere, sometime, the angels had some decision to make, and they made the wrong, you know, a third of them made the wrong decision. And now it appears that they have no free will, just as we will have no, what we want to call free will after we're dead. We've made our decision on the time we walk on this earth. And that to me is one of the most amazing things that the little short time that we walk on this earth determines our position for eternity. 
you know, let's say you lived a really long life, you got to live three or four hundred years, but that, but what is three or four hundred years compared to eternity? You know, all the old Christian songs use 10,000 as their, yeah. as their big number, and 10,000 used to be considered a unbelievable, you couldn't, com yeah. you couldn't comprehend now that number. Trillions. Now we have to think in terms of billions and trillions. Yeah. If, if Amazing Grace was written today, instead of 10,000 years, they'd probably go 10 trillion years, uh, uh, I've only just begun. Because that's, in their day, 10000 was a huge, if you had $10,000, you were rich. If you, you know, if you had, uh, you know, 10,000 tons of some product, you were, you were, uh, you know, you were so, you were so wealthy that nobody could imagine it. And, you know, how fast things have moved in, 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 the, in just 200 years. But here we are, God is ruling, and he's ruling with authority. King of kings, Lord of lords. Nobody else is going to touch his authority. And, he, and the amazing thing, like I said, we, we learn from the other, other books, he rules from Jerusalem. Jerusalem has always been the center of God's plan. For whatever reason, it's been the center of his plans. And he, that's why they want to take it over, as in the Muslims. This, they want to blow it up. They want to destroy it. Uh, they want to control it. And Satan wants to control God. Whatever God has, Satan wants to control. And it's going to get worse as we get closer to the end. And we're going to see all of this book that be fulfilled. The new temple is going to be built at some point. It's, the Antichrist is going to help get it built. And the Jews are going to be happy that their temple has been built. They're going to, you know, they're going to look at the Antichrist and call him the Messiah because he's brought peace and control and... Then he's going to stand up and say, I'm God, and they're all of a sudden going to know after the, for the second half of the tribulation that they had been deceived. Yeah. And we're going to see great, great problems follow through. But Jesus is going to come, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem with authority and as King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And that's a great, you know, great term. You know, we have him as our Lord. We have him as our King. And we want to keep that in mind. He is our Lord. He is our King. We, we are ambassadors in this world of the heaven. We represent God in this world. What we do and say represents God. Some of us do it better than others. Some, some are a bad example. And there are ambassadors out there from countries sometimes that are bad examples of their country. You know, they either bought the, they bought the ambassadorship or whatever so that they could come and play and, 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 and make their country look bad. <laughs> but we are his ambassadors, and this is not our home. This is not our home. If we get comfortable in this world, we've got a problem, because we should always be uncomfortable, because this is not our home. We don't think like the world does. We don't act like the world does. If we are comfortable in this world, we've got some serious problems, because there are issues. We, we are tabernacled here, as, as, you know, just tented here. It's, it should affect what do we look for for entertainment? What do we look for in, in our day-to-day -day activities? How are we doing? Only think about God and, and, and that? No, that's, we're not to be only that place. But by the same token, and I've said it, you know, I have a hard time watching TV anymore because even the old supposedly good shows were not godly shows. And, and not, they poked fun at everything they got. And the newer shows, forget them. Today's shows are so bad, yeah. which is probably what has made me sensitive to the 
whole entertainment side of it. We do want to be careful because we are, and I'm not criticizing entertainment and it's per se, but it's just so little that can be watched. It's just so little that can be watched anymore. I never yeah. realized it was uh, that way. But uh, you, you also want to consider that this is not, again, this is not new. No. Okay. In the Roman day, they had the Colosseums. You mm -hmm. actually had to go someplace, but even their theater was was pretty vulgar. The Greeks mm -hmm. were the same way; was very vulgar. Nothing new under the sun. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. the only thing now is that we can have it pumped into our house, and nobody knows you're watching it. So, yeah. it's pornography is getting to that same place. You can, you know, watch it completely on your computer. Nobody knows you're, you know, viewing it. You don't have to go down to the. You don't have to go down to the. You don't have to go down to the bad bad district into the and buy the magazines or movies and carry them home. It's keep in mind this is not our home. Everything we want to do needs to be filtered through God's way of thinking, and a biblical biblical worldview on everything. And three years ago we did the Truth Project. If anybody remembers that, which was helping to get a biblical worldview on on different different uh, parts. You know, little things like we are sinful. What's the world try to tell us? We're basically good. You had to be taught to be sinful. Now, I've never had to teach any of my kids to be <laughs> sinful, but the, the, the college answer to that is, well, you gave them rules. You made them sinful by giving them rules. <laughs> uh, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. well, wasn't it uh, there's, there's these kids that don't have any rules. They're not any better. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and close. Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you that you are going to be Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and you're going to rule this earth as you are supposed to. And Lord, we thank you that we're going to rule with you in our glorified bodies. Help us as we go out today to share you with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.